0: It's an honor to uh, be the speaker during this meeting, and I hope that something I will say each evening, each day, will benefit you. We hope that you'll come. We hope that you'll bring your friends. If you uh, want Laura and I to visit in your home, we'd be glad to do that, or visit with you at a restaurant, or have a cup of coffee, just whatever we can do to encourage or help the meeting, we want to do that. And of course, the best way to help people is to be with people. And so we hope that you'll allow us to be with you this week, not only in the assembly, but uh, in your homes too. We're going to study for a few moments uh, this morning uh, and take our, our theme from an old, old song. You know, we love gospel singing, don't we? We don't know who wrote this song, but we know that this person, whoever it was, was a slave. They had been stolen away from their home, this uh, person, some 200 years ago. They were betrayed by their own people and sold to British slave traders. They were probably boarded on a ship. They could have been from Zambia where I lived for eight years. They were boarded on a ship probably at a port in Angola, what we know as Angola today, and uh, they were brought over with many of their brothers and, and sisters and mothers and fathers. And in this ship, uh, it was a very difficult task because many of them died in the process. They were chained uh, in, the, in the bottom of the, of the ship and brought to America. And those who survived were strong, and they were sold on the auction block. Well, they suffered for many years. They were slaves and had no no, uh, freedom. They worked in the fields of Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi and other places across the country. And they served all their lifetime and their children were born slaves. Well, obviously they suffered a lot. And when they came to America, it was not all a loss because they learned about Jesus. They learned about his death, and they learned about his suffering, and his pain, and his sorrow. And they could identify with that pain and that suffering. And so they wrote this old spiritual, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Now this principle is actually in the Bible. Uh, In the book of Hebrews chapter 6, it speaks of crucifying afresh the Son of God. We cannot lift this text or this verse out of its context. And there's no way that we could crucify Jesus as these people were. Now what uh, the book of Hebrews was written for, it was written because Christians were backsliding. And I think sometimes we miss that. And we still have that same problem today. Now we're not backsliding to uh, the Old Testament system of worship as they are. But we do have a problem with backsliding. In fact, I suppose you can go anywhere the church is found and that's been there for a number of years, and there'll be far more people who have backslidden than attend the services. So we still have an issue or a problem with that. But in this particular context, these were Jewish Christians, these were Hebrew Christians, having been brought out of the Mosaic Law into the new light, And having become Christians were suffering tremendous persecution under and because of that decision. Now, this persecution, what came from their own countrymen, came from the other Hebrews who rejected Jesus. And because of that, they often would go back to the old law. Now, what happened when they went back to the old law was they would go back to those uh, animal sacrifices that were uh, uh, slain in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, we know the reason why these animals were slain. In fact, Paul tells us in the book of uh, Romans, chapter three, verses 25 through 27, that God passed over sin in these sacrifices. In other words, because of the blood that was spilt, we know that, that through the shedding of blood, sin is forgiven. Because of the innocent blood that was shed in these sacrifices, God passed over sin. Now, some of our Bibles translate the word passed over, uh, redemption, but the word is not really redemption. It's a different uh, Greek word, and it means that God passed over, and it could be translated pretermission. The idea was, is that God would overlook or pass over sin because of the ultimate sacrifice that would finally one day be given upon the cross of Calvary. Now, the point is, all of these sacrifices pointed to Jesus. All of these sacrifices pointed to the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, just as Daniel the prophet had predicted, he made an end to oblation and sacrifice. Now, the Jews rejected Jesus as a whole. And they continued to make sacrifices for about 40 years. Now it's interesting because really what this amounts to is God extended his grace to the Jews even though they had rejected his son, even though they had turned their backs upon the very Messiah of whom they had looked for hundreds of years, he allowed them 40 more years to come to their senses and to repent. And finally, in 70 A.D., God stopped this by destruction. Of Jerusalem, Now it's interesting because we have denominational preachers who get on the radio and talk about how the sacrifice is going to be restored. <laughs> this is the same problem the Hebrews had. They wanted to go back to those sacrifices. And that's what Paul's talking about. When you go back to these Old Testament sacrifices that were done away with at the cross, that were finished at the cross, you're slapping God in the face. You're telling him that uh, Jesus' death was not good enough. So I don't want to misunderstand uh, what's being said in this passage with what we're going to talk about today. But the principle is there. And the principle is that we were all there. The fact of the matter is there was somebody at the cross, there was somebody at the time of Jesus' death that represents you. And so the verse, were you there when they crucified my Lord, applies to you. And it applies to you. In fact, sometimes It causes us to tremble when we realize who we're represented by. And so we want to talk a little bit about that today. Were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Well, who was there? Well, obviously there were sinners. Now, I'm not talking about rank sinners. There were some rank sinners there. But uh, what I'm talking about is uh, these sinners were actually of organized religion. Now think about that. When Jesus was brought to Pilate, there were false witnesses that testified against him. But it was so obvious. Now, now Pilate is a rank sinner. <laughs> he don't know any more believe in God than my big toe can believe in God. He has no concern about Jesus Christ or who he is. He does not care. Now, because of the circumstances, he's brought to the face of Jesus and he has to make a decision. But he could care less who Jesus was. But it was obvious to this, this awesome ruler in Rome that Jesus was innocent, that he was guilty, guiltless of any capital crime. And he knew that he was because of envy. Now, I want you to think about this. Were you there? When they crucified my Lord. They delivered Jesus because of envy. You see, that's what sin does. It blinds us. It it causes us to have a perverted vision. It causes us to think uh, out of of character. In fact, sin will always take you farther than you want to go. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, Beware of the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is fun for a while. And we think that because it's small, we think we're champions and we can master it. Foolish indeed. Foolish indeed. I'm telling you that those chief priests, that religious organization that was present upon that occasion, stood before Jesus, envious of Jesus, and they could not see the very scriptures that they were familiar with. They could not recognize the very scriptures that they were familiar with. Now, I want you to think about this. They killed jesus just before that happened jesus had raised lazarus within a few months of that now everybody knew lazarus was dead he was a man of authority and a man of power everybody in the community knew Je- knew lazarus and when jesus raised him from the dead the jews said we know that he- this cannot be denied Now, think about this. These same chief priests that had cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! They knew that what Jesus had done was raise the dead. But do you think that helped them understand who Jesus was? You know what they said? We've got to kill Jesus, and we've got to kill Lazarus. And then people will forget about what he did. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, How could they do that? And that's right. How could they do that? I'll tell you how they could do it. They allowed a little bit of envy to get into their heart. And that envy corroded their thinking and blinded their vision. And they became and got into a situation that they never dreamed they could get into. They even thought they were right. They were so blinded by the God of this world. Guess what, friends? If you got envy in your life, then maybe your name is chief priest or elder. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I'm telling you, if you envy the shape of some beautiful young woman or some beautiful young or handsome young man, you allow that envy to stay there, it'll corrupt you. If you are a little bit jealous because somebody in the church has a better job than you do, I'm telling you, that's the beginning of the end. You better be careful. You see, so a thought and that thought becomes an action and that action becomes a habit and that habit becomes a destiny. All of us are vulnerable. All of us are capable of allowing sin to destroy us. A little bit of leavening, Paul said, leavens the whole lump. Listen to me. Envy will not remain silent. If you do not harness that sin, or that character flaw that you may find within your life, whatever it is, it'll grow and it'll develop and it'll destroy you. My grandma said, did you ever wonder how come when you go to a rest home and you meet with somebody and they're just bitter and cynical and hateful and they're angry at everybody and you go away and you think, man, that person's in bad shape. And then you go see somebody else, and the truth of the matter is they're in worse shape than the other person was, but you just feel great when you leave. She said, son, what you're looking at is an old person that was bitter, cynical, and hateful when they were young. She said, whatever you are when you're young, if you don't really harness it, if you don't really work on it, if you don't really try to suppress it, it gets worse when you get old and that's the way sin is. These people never intended to kill the Messiah. They've been looking for him for hundreds of years, but when he comes on the scene, he was a disappointment, and they, rather than, rather than accepting him, they envied him, they hated him, they became jealous of him, they became bitter, and even sought to kill him. My friends, if you've allowed envy into your heart, then you were there, and it's not so happy that you were. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Judas was not there. Now I want to think about Judas for a minute. We give Judas down the road. Listen to this. In Judas, or Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, Judas Iscariot went went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Now, in John the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 6, the Bible tells us clearly that uh, Judas had a had a uh, greedy heart you see judas had a problem with greed and so uh the bible says that he carried the bag or as some versions say carried the box that is jesus and his disciples had a treasury and in john the 12th chapter you remember the story there was a woman who took uh expensive spikenard ointment and uh, and anointed the body of jesus And the disciples became angry about that. And Judas spoke up and said, "Why we could have sold it for a great amount and given that money to the poor. But John added commentary. You know, John wrote his uh, gospel at a later date. He's writing me inspiration. And he added commentary. He said, Judas wasn't really concerned about the poor. He carried the box, and he'd been taking what was inside and He was a thief. Now, I want you to realize this. When Judas started following Jesus, he never intended to betray Jesus. He only had a problem with greed, see. It was small. It wasn't that big of a deal. You know, we still have a problem with greed. Regretfully so. Sometimes you have to be careful who counts the money of the the contribution. Think about it. Isn't that sad? But of course, anything that's in the world comes into the church. We have weak people. We have strong people. We have, the church is a place to grow and develop and change. Now think about this. He carries the bag. He's been taking some of the money inside. Now, he gets an opportunity to go to the chief priest's. Now, I'm convinced he did not believe for one minute that Jesus was going to be killed. In fact, he was with Jesus when they were just outside Capernaum a few months before this, and the people in the town got so angry at Jesus that they drug him outside the city to a cliff and were going to throw him off the cliff, and Jesus just passed through the crowd. You see, they couldn't take his life unless he laid it down. Judas knew that even if these Jews wanted to kill Jesus, and he knew they did, there's no way they could. But you see, sin will take you farther than you want to go. His intent was based on greed. He wasn't thinking through and wasn't realizing what Jesus had been telling them all along, that he was going to die. That the time was approaching. They now were going to Jerusalem, and he would never return home again. But Judas didn't hear that. You see, that's the problem even with preaching. You're sitting here in the audience and I'm saying something, but you don't always hear what I say. Or sometimes when you hear what I say, you hear it differently than I made it. (laughs) That's just the way it is. And uh, it depends on our bias and it depends on our uh, thinking. And that's the problem with Judas. Jesus has plainly told him that I'm going to be delivered to the Jews. We're going to Jerusalem for the last time and I'm going to die. But I don't believe he thinks, I don't believe he understands that when he gives these Jews the money, or when he receives the money, and he gives them the promise to betray, him, that Jesus is actually going to die. And the reason I believe that is because after they took Jesus to the, to the hall of Pilate, he took the money, the 30 pieces of silver. Into the temple and said that he had betrayed innocent blood and he tried to return it and they wouldn't accept it so he threw it on the ground and the Bible says he went out and hung himself now I'm going to tell you that's a frightening thing when I first became a Christian I never thought I never dreamed that I would know somebody or even my best friend in the church would someday commit suicide I didn't know that he left his family. left my sister 25 years ago. I hadn't seen him for 25 years. He shot himself. And my nephew was there. And I had to go clean up the blood. Now, that's graphic, and that's terrible. But I'm going to tell you something. That's the way sin works. It'll take you farther than you want to go, and when you get there, sometimes you can't get back. That's why it's so dangerous for you to flirt with a woman. That's why it's so dangerous for you to cheat on your husband. That's why it is so dangerous to dilly and dally and sin. You see, sin's fun, that's what the Bible says. Over there in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 it says that Moses would not enjoy the pleasure of sin even for a season. You see, sin is fun (laughs) in the beginning. The devil doesn't tell anybody that you're going to end up in the gutter drowning in your own puke when you take your first drink. He doesn't tell you that when you look at this beautiful woman at the office that you might end up in the hospital with AIDS and your life being snapped from you at a premature time because of your sin, he don't tell you that. Sin is fun until you get yourself in a fix. Well, I'm telling you, there's a payday for every sin. It doesn't matter who we are, there's a payday for it. And once you sow those sins of corruption, you're going to reap a harvest. Now, you can be forgiven. If you come to your senses, you can be forgiven. But there are consequences. Judas, Judas carried the bag, he wanted what was in the bag, he took what was in the bag. He was a pretender. He had a problem with greed, and that greed caused him to do something he never thought he would do, and that was cu- be a part in the killing of Jesus. Now, whatever that sin is in your life, I'm telling you, it can destroy you. It will destroy you. It'll cause you to lose your soul. If you have greed in your heart today, listen, do you always put yourself first? No. That's the, that's the philosophy of life in America. You know, we're idealists to a great extent. And uh, we're individualists. You know, it's mine and me and ours or you know people have the attitude that that I deserve this, I want this. I'm going to tell you something. The Bible teaches that I'm to put others first. The Bible teaches that I'm to treat others even as Jesus treated me. Listen to me, do you cheat? You cheat your neighbor? Might not even be a big deal. But do you cheat him? You see, any sin, no matter how insignificant it is, can reach a point in your life that it may destroy you. Well, Judas was not there, for he committed suicide. Well, the next question is Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Now, we don't know for sure where Jesus was crucified. But this is one of the possible locations. It kind of looks like a skull if you look at it at a certain angle. This is uh, one of the possible locations. Listen to this. Luke chapter 23, verse 33. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. I'm asking you, were you there when they nailed Jesus to the tree? Now, we don't know for sure exactly how this occurred. Uh, Evidently, they probably had holes that were prepared for the cross. Uh, Some say that uh, possibly they nailed him to the cross as it lay upon the ground. Well, each person to be crucified had a soldier for each limb, four soldiers for each person. But Jesus doesn't have to be held. He stretches his arms out for us. I'm asking you, friends, were you there when they nailed him to the tree? When they drove those pieces of steel through his hands and through his feet, were you there when they lifted the cross with the burden of his body as it, as it was attached to that wood and dropped it in the heart of the earth? And you heard the groan from the excruciating pain that he was enduring. Were you there? That's a question to ask. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They spit in his face. They slapped him. They plaited a crown of thorns upon his head. They nailed him to the tree. They had beaten him nearly to death. And now, he prays, Father, forgive them. Now, he didn't forgive them, but he released it that day. He was ready to forgive them. Sometimes people say he forgave them that day, but that's a contradiction. It goes in Acts chapter 2. Peter accuses them of murdering and betraying Jesus, and they said, what do we have to do? If they'd already been forgiven, they didn't have to do anything. Now, forgiveness occurs in the mind of God. Now, if Terry wrongs me and I talk to him and he, he hits me with his fist, now he's not going to do that. First of all, I'm bigger than he is. But uh, secondly, he's not going to hit me. But the point is suppose we had a problem and, and, and he came, I went to him and he hit me. And, and there was no way that I could get him to work that problem out. Well,. Matthew 18. But the point is, I can't, keep, I can't hold a grudge against him. Now, he's going to be accountable to God for that sin, see, see? But I can't hold a grudge against him. And I've got to release that. Because if you allow that grudge to remain in your heart, you're going to become bitter. And that bitterness is going to make you ugly. And that bitterness is going to destroy you. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Another question, were you there when they pierced him in the side? Think about it. In John chapter 19, verse 32, Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. Now they broke the legs to hasten death. It was not an act of mercy. In fact, uh, when a person hung on the cross... Uh, he, could, he could hold himself up with a ledge that was, uh, that was made on the cross and that would uh, allow him to breathe. The person who hung on the cross would die uh, from uh, uh, suffocation. So I guess if you want to look at it as an of mercy, you can. But to me, for him to take clubs and break his legs, that's not being too merciful. But anyway, they broke the legs of the thief on the left and the right. But when they came to Jesus, he's already dead. His suffering had been so tremendous, he had given it all up and he died. He had bowed his head and gave up the ghost. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. Listen, folks, God saw prophetically, Jesus on the cross, every time there was a sacrifice made, and God knew that Jesus was going to die, he knew that the thief on the right and the thief on the left were going to be crucified. He knew that that they were going to have their legs broken to hasten their death, but Jesus was already going to die, and he saw prophetically, the Romans thrust his spear in his side, and so he foretold it to the prophet 800 years before it happened. And it happened just like God said it. Think about it. What tremendous love. What love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And that's made possible through Jesus, through his sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at this. Simon Peter was there. Simon Peter was there. Now Simon's an interesting fellow because he's he's like a lot of us. He was really zealous and he loved the Lord as long as he could love him his own way. Did you ever know anybody like that? I just thought of something. I better turn my phone off. I don't know what's worse, waiting to see if it'd ring or turning it off. There. I want you to think about this. Peter is so much like us. He had a desire to serve God. He had a desire to please Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest associates. There was a relationship between Peter and Jesus that did not exist between Jesus and Thomas. You'll notice that oftentimes Jesus would separate himself from the other disciples. But more times than once, he would take Peter with him when he separated from the others. So there's a special relationship between Peter and Jesus. But Peter's desire to please Jesus was not complete. He was ready to serve the Lord as long as it met his terms, see. That's the problem we have, even in the church today. That's the problem we have with some sisters and some brethren. They're ready to serve the Lord. they're able to make great sacrifice to a point. But listen, Jesus said, "Not every man that says to me, "Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven." Now the Bible says that in John or Luke chapter 22, that Jesus had just told his disciples that all of them were going to forsake him. And I want you to look at what happens. Peter says, my Lord, even if all men forsake you, even if it means that I have to die, I'm going to die with you, but I'll never deny you or forsake you. And the Lord said, Simon. Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as weak. Listen to this. But I have prayed for you. Didn't that touch touch your heart? Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. He was going to end up cursing, swearing, lying that he ever knew him. And yet Jesus said, I have prayed for you. That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him lord i am ready to go with you both to prison and to death and then he said i tell you peter the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me well let's move a little more farther forward we're in gethsemane it's past the midnight hour the disciples are fast asleep now jesus has uh, woken peter james and john at least twice But it seems that after the second time, he finally grows weary and just says, sleep on. He doesn't worry about it. Well, about that time, Jesus has been praying and he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to die. He despised the shame and death of the cross, Hebrews chapter 12. But the Bible says uh, after the midnight hour that the mob came. They came with knives and they came with swords. When they came, Judas was in front, and Jesus knew why he was there, but he said, friend, wherefore art thou come? Why are you here, Judas? And he kissed him. And the Bible says that the mob grabbed him. Jesus said, I've been with you daily in the market. You never bothered me then, and now you come against me with swords and and knives? Well, when this all occurs, old Peter wakes up out of his sleep. And I'm telling you, he's charged and ready to fight for Jesus. In fact, the Bible says he draws his sword and he slices the ear of Malchus off. Now, why did he slice that ear? Have you ever thought about that? You know why he sliced his ear? Because he's just, Malchus is just like me. Somebody's swinging the sword, I'm going to move my head. And Peter meant to slice the head, not the sword, or ear. Jesus said, put the sword up. You see, Peter is ready to serve the Lord even to the death. Now think about it. He's not a coward. This is a mob, an angry mob, that has come to take Jesus with many weapons. And yet Peter alone has a sword. And he rises from his sleep, wielding that sword, ready to even die for Jesus. But Jesus said, put your sword up, Peter. This is all wrong, Peter. Isn't that amazing sometimes we have such great zeal that's founded on such little knowledge Peter's ready to serve him just like we sometimes are but that service is going to be rendered on his own terms is that your guilt today maybe you were there and your name is Peter Well, the Bible says that after this occurred, Peter just loses all purpose in life. After drawing his sword and Jesus tells him to put it Up as they take Jesus away, the Bible says he follows afar off. Then he finds himself warming at the fire of the enemy. Then he ends up cursing that he does not know Jesus. And finally, he swears and denies that Jesus is his acquaintance, just like the Lord had said. And the Bible says after he said that, the cock crew, just as Jesus had stated. Now, I want to ask you this morning are you afar off? Now, we're having a gospel meeting. Will I see you tonight? What about tomorrow night? Is it possible that I'll only see some of you next Sunday again? I want to ask you, is your hand in the work? Are you following afar far off? I'm telling you, if you're not committed to the church, if you've not got yourself in the work, then you're walking on dangerous ground. Your name is Peter. And you may even find yourself in a predicament where you deny Jesus. You may find yourself in a predicament where you fall away from the church. From the mercy and grace of God. That was the mistake that Peter made. He first began to follow afar off. Peter refused to stay in there because he was following Jesus on his own terms. And he realized now that his own terms will not work. I want to ask you. Are you involved in studies in the church? Are you involved in inviting people to to the worship? Are you involved in bringing people to Jesus? What about visitation? What about people who are sick or in need? Have you ever mowed a widow lady's yard because she needed help? What about it? How about a meal? Have you served a meal to someone that uh, was in need? Are you involved in the work of the church? Listen to me. If you're not, maybe your name is Peter. I ask you, were you there when they nailed him to the tree? You were. Who represents you today? Was it Judas? Was it the organized religion of the day? Was it Peter? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Are you like Peter? Are you confused? Peter is now confused. He really had been serving the Lord with a misconception. His understanding was mixed up. Have you your own point of view? See, the Lord doesn't want us to serve him on our terms. He wants us to serve him on his terms. He wants surrender of our lives and surrender of our will. He wants us to lay our lives upon the altar of selfless service. That's what he's talking about when he says in Romans chapter 12, we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, We're to present our bodies to the Lord as a sacrifice. Well, another verse. Were you there when the sun refused to shine? When the sun refused to shine, were you there? Were you there when they laid Him in the tomb? Were you there when the they rolled away the stone? All of these things need to be considered. Well, the final point that I want to make this morning is this: Did you know that He is risen? That changes everything. That changes the way I think. That changes the way I live. That changes who I am. Did you know that he's risen from the dead? I'm telling you that he came to this world. The Bible says, though he was rich, he became poor for our sakes, that we through his poverty might become rich. You see, Jesus left heaven. He left heaven. He left everything that we dream of, everything that we desire, everything that we want. He gave it up to come to this earth. And then he went to the cross. He stretched his arms out upon the cross. And he gave his life for us. Listen, folks. And now, now he's in heaven. And that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. The grave is still around. For those men. But the tomb that Jesus once was found is empty. And it shall be empty forevermore. He has risen from the dead. I love the words of the angels when they said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Don't you know he's no longer here? He told you that in three days I will rise again. He is not here. But he is risen. The empty tomb speaks volumes to us. The empty tomb reminds us that this world is not our home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You see, because of the resurrection, it doesn't matter what we face. Even if we die in this life. It doesn't matter. If we're doing the Lord's will. We're going to meet him in the air when he comes. If you believe in me, Jesus said. Listen to this. If you believe in me. Believe also. Or if you believe in God rather. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go. He went. And now the place is ready. And the choice is yours. If you look at the cross today and you realize, hey, it wasn't good. I'm represented by the wrong person. Then change. Take responsibility for your life. Say, yes, I made some mistakes. Yes, the past has been... Wrong, but I can change, see. That's the beauty of Christianity. It's not so bad to be wrong. When preachers act like that they've never been wrong, they're lying to us. Yes, sir. When a preacher or a brother or anybody acts like they've not been wrong, they're lying because everybody's in that category. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, listen to me. That don't make an excuse for my sin or yours, but the point is, we can make it right as long as we have life. The very blood of Jesus was dripping from the hands of those that were listening to Peter on the day of Pentecost. And he told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for their remission of sins. They believed. We know they did because he's preaching about Jesus. And they interrupted the preaching and they said, how can we rid ourselves of this sin? this dastardly deed that we performed when Jesus died? How can we cut ourselves loose from that? And Peter said, based upon your faith, repent and be baptized. If you're in this audience today and you've never obeyed the gospel, that's what you do. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, If you believe with all of your heart that He came from Heaven's glory and died on the cross for you and now you're ready to swing your allegiance to Him, then repent. Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repentance means that I change my mind. Once I was walking this direction, but now because of my faith in Jesus, I turn about face, I put my eyes at the cross and I walk with Him. Won't you acknowledge him before this audience? He's in heaven at God's right hand. And when you confess his name, he makes a promise in Matthew 10, 32. He says, I'll confess your name before the angels of heaven, before the God of heaven. He'll stand to his feet and trumpet your name in heaven. No wonder Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Won't you make that confession? Won't you be buried in Him in baptism for the remission of your sins? Well, I could say a lot more this morning, but I want to go to the last, or I want to go back to the song. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes. It causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Think about it. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information